All right, if you have your copy of God's Holy Word, please go ahead and open it with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 5 this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 5. If you are new to Redeemer, uh, you should know that we love to preach exegetically through the Bible. That, that means that we preach progressively through different books of the Bible, and we always seek to allow the text that is in front of us to be what we preach, rather than just picking and choosing as pastors what we want to say on a given Sunday. We believe that God's Word is living and active, and that it has authority over our lives, and that God's Holy Spirit can use every part of His Word to encourage and strengthen and invite vision us at every point in life. And so this is why even for holidays like Easter or for Christmas, we most often choose to not step out of our current preaching series, but rather to continue with whatever is right in front of us. The only problem is that that can at times become a little bit awkward. And today is one of those days because the next passage in our series in 1 Corinthians is 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1, which says, It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that is not tolerated even among pagans, for a man has his father's wife. Happy Easter, everybody. <laughs> he is risen. This is not the most natural Easter morning sermon text to preach from. However... We can still talk about these verses this morning because all of God's word impacts our lives because of the resurrection of Christ from the dead. And we can talk about this this morning because verses 6 to 7 highlight the joy of Easter in a particular way. And so today, verses 6 to 7, 6 to 8 actually will be our primary preaching text. And the next week we're going to jump back to verse 1 and dig into it a little bit more. But for now, let's begin by reading verses 6 to 8. Paul says, your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump as you really are unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Let us therefore celebrate the festival, not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Amen. May God bless the preaching of his word this morning. Folks, did you know that today is not just Easter morning? If you wanted to, you could actually celebrate several other holidays that are today as well. For instance, April 17th apparently is International Go Fly a Kite Day. It's also International Ford Mustang Day, so if you're into cars, today's your day. April 17th is also International Blah 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 Day. It really is. Hopefully we're not celebrating it here this morning. And did you also know that there is a National Donut Day? and a National Pancake Day? And a National Crouton Day? And a National Lima Bean Day? <laughs> and did you know that there's actually a national talk like Buddy the Elf Day? I'm all about that one. People love to celebrate. People love to celebrate so much that they often create opportunities to celebrate. 
Some of the biggest events in the world are at art or music festivals where people come together in mass and create the opportunity to celebrate things loudly together. But whatever it is that we choose to, separate, to celebrate, isn't it also true that there are always going to be people who don't celebrate those same things? Not everyone's into lima beans or even into pancakes or into Buddy the Elf. And friends, not everyone is into Easter. Sure, many people celebrate Easter with Easter bunnies and Easter eggs. Our family certainly has. But not everyone is into celebrating Easter for the right reasons or for the ultimate reason. Our passage today, which is in the very middle of some very difficult, very ugly issues within the church, our passage today hits pause in order to remind us all of why we have reason to celebrate this Easter morning and every morning that we live. Friends, the main idea for our sermon this morning is this, against the problem of our sin, Jesus rose triumphantly from the dead. So let's celebrate him with our whole lives. Against the problem of our sin, Jesus rose triumphantly from the dead. So let's celebrate him with our whole lives. And what we're going to do this morning, we're going to take that main idea and just break it into three parts. Point number one, against the problem of sin. Point number two, Jesus rose from the dead. And point number three, so let's celebrate him with our whole lives. Let's begin with point number one, against the problem of our sin. Look, Look at verse six with me. It says, your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump as you really are unleavened for Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Friends, what we see here is that the fateful events of Easter weekend were in many ways not unexpected, at least in the mind of God. When when Paul speaks of Jesus as the Passover lamb, and when he talks about the festival and celebrating it with unleavened bread, by, by using those terms, he is connecting the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross on Easter weekend to a long history of sacrifice that came before. Specifically, Paul is tying the sacrifice of Jesus all the way back to Exodus chapter 12, centuries before to the first Passover meal in Egypt. Friend, did you know that it is no accident that Jesus died on the cross during the Passover week for the Jewish people? Do you remember the events of that very first Passover for the nation of Israel? Do you remember how it came about? The people of Israel had been enslaved, in bondage, afflicted in Egypt for 400 years. They were tormented in Egypt under slavery. They had lost their dignity in Egypt under slavery. They had been hopelessly lost in Egypt under their slavery. There was no way to escape. And listen, their outward bondage was a symbol of an inward reality as well. Their outward bondage was a sign of their need for deliverance, not just from a superpower nation like Egypt, but from the powers of sin in their own hearts. And not only for them, but for us. 
Friend, when we read about the slavery of God's people in Egypt, we should immediately think about the bondage of our own hearts to sin and death. Isn't it true? We have been tormented by sin. Sin had stolen our dignity. We were in bondage to sin and shame. See, see in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul starts talking about some really difficult things. Things like sexual immorality and greed and thievery, and adultery, and sleeping with prostitutes, and broken marriages, and divorce, and drunkenness, and lawsuits between members of the church, and even church discipline. It's all very ugly, and we're going to talk about it all over the next several weeks. But we must not talk about all of these signs of bondage, church, as if they are someone else's problem. They're not. Now, whether it is sexual sin, or whether it is forms of materialism, or whether it is prideful division and divisiveness within the church, we must all see how apart from God's grace, we were guilty of all those things in one form or another as well. We too were in bondage. See, the crazy thing about the first Passover in Egypt was that when God said that His judgment would come down on the firstborn sons, His word was not just against the Egyptian firstborn sons. No, it was against Israel's firstborn sons as well. Why? Because even though they were afflicted in bondage, even though they were in slavery, they too could not stand before God's holy judgment. Though they were enslaved physically, they too were guilty spiritually before God. They too were deserving of His judgment. And Paul knows that reality for for Israel. Paul knows that reality for himself and for the Corinthian church. And so he says, your boasting is not good. And what he means there is that their arrogant way of thinking about how they're so mature in Christ to not be affected by sin. That's not good. That's bad, Paul says. See, the Corinthian church claimed that they had a super spirituality, a a form of Christianity that claimed that that sin was okay, was not a big deal. The Corinthians had an over-realized eschatology that made them think that they were mature enough in Christ to not have sin affect them, that they were immune to the effects of sin. Paul says no. Paul says, no, do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Paul says, don't grow comfortable with sin in your life, church. Sin is a big deal. It's always a big deal. And sin will poison your life. We, Redeemer Fellowship, we are called to be a holy people, a church that runs away from sin and runs towards godliness. And for even one member of the church to be indifferent and passive about sin in their lives is to have a little leaven that can leaven the whole lump. That indifference will spread. Friends, this is our biggest problem. See, God's righteousness and holiness requires judgment. Not just against the firstborn sons of Egypt, but against every firstborn son, against every man and woman, against all of us. None is righteous, no, not one. All have turned aside. Together we have become worthless. This is why we needed the cross. This is the problem that required that God send His only Son into this world to deal with it. This is the problem that could not be resolved any other way than that God Himself would die in our place. 
This is the problem of our sinfulness. But friends, not everybody chooses to celebrate the same things. Not everyone celebrates National Donut Day or National Lima Bean Day. And not everyone celebrates Easter. But do you know why? Because not everyone has the humility and the honesty to see the reality of their sin and to admit it before God. Not everyone admits that they are sinners and so not everyone is even able to look for and to celebrate God's grace because they haven't yet admitted that they have a problem. But friends, if you are honest with yourself this morning, you will see the problem in clear color. Friend, I wonder what the last year has been like for you. What has life looked like since last Easter morning? I wonder what struggles you have had along the way. I wonder what mistakes you have made. I wonder what sins you have committed. I wonder how you have failed to love your family like you should or how you have been unfaithful to serve God with your whole life. I wonder what patterns of of sin have remained hidden and unconfessed. Oh, friends, I, I know that for me, this last year has been hard. It's been a hard year. I have had many Struggles. I have seen my selfishness and my pride in, in whole new ways than I have before, particularly towards my family. I've seen selfishness and laziness and, and pride, and it's been terrible to feel and experience. I hate seeing my sin. I hate seeing my weakness. I hate knowing that I don't love God like I should, and I don't love those around me like I should. I hate the problem of sin, and so should you. But friends, listen, it's the pain of sin. It is our bondage to sin that weighs so heavily, but that makes us look for a solution, that makes us look for a powerful solution, that makes us look for a Passover solution. God has done something for us that enables his wrath to pass over us and to not land on us. The pain of your mistakes and your bondage to sin and shame, all of that should make you look for a Passover lamb and you should celebrate when you find that Passover lamb in Jesus. And that brings us to our second point. Point number two. Jesus rose triumphantly from the dead. Look at verse 7 now. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Again, this, this, this Passover language should immediately remind us of the moment when God judged Egypt but had mercy on Israel. God found a way to spare them from death. The first Passover is the clearest place in the Old Testament where we see the doctrine of penal substitution. It is the clearest place in Scripture where God begins to reveal His heart. He begins to reveal His ultimate plan to have a substitute to bear our sins once and for all. Death came to the Egyptians and death would have come to the Israelites except each family found a spotless lamb, a lamb without blemish or flaw, and they sacrificed it. They killed that lamb, and they took the blood of that lamb and placed it at the top and on the sides of the doorpost to their homes. And just like the blood of that Passover lamb and how it allowed death to pass over that Israelite home without touching them, Paul is saying now that God himself took the lamb of God, his own son, the the, the perfect spotless one, and crushed him on the cross. 
That God sent Jesus to that place of judgment. That God himself spilt the blood of his firstborn son. Isaiah prophesies about it and says that it was the will of the Lord to crush him. God put him on that cross and God poured all of his judgment on him there so that his blood could be placed above and around all of our lives so that the debt could be paid and so that we might live. Friends, this is what happened on that fateful Friday afternoon. The ultimate Passover lamb was sacrificed to pay for our sins. Jesus was offered up in our place and he died. He died and he was laid lifeless in that tomb. Jesus was buried under the weight of God's judgment so that like with the Israelites, God's judgment might keep moving past you so that it might pass over you so that you might be spared. This is the good news of the gospel, amen? Jesus died in your place. If you never believed that, it's offered to you today. Put your faith in Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. But maybe this morning, you're a little bit confused. Maybe, maybe it feels like we are just reiterating the same message from Friday night. Isn't there supposed to be a difference between Good Friday when Jesus died on the cross and Easter morning when he rose up from the dead? Well, friends, that is what Paul is speaking of here. We've already studied in this letter how when Paul talks about the cross or about Christ's sacrifice for us, he is being cross-centered in his theology, but included in his theology of the cross is the entire message of the gospel. So included in these words, for Christ our Passover lamb has been sacrificed, is the hope of the resurrection. Paul never focuses on the cross to the exclusion of the empty tomb, and that's great news. Because his death is only good news if it's followed by the resurrection. Jesus dying in our place is wonderful. But if he stayed in the grave, that means that sin and death had the last word against God himself. And that means that those sins may be forgiven right now, death still has control. If Jesus wasn't raised from the dead, then death, which is the ultimate consequence of sin, still has the final word. And we have very little reason to rejoice because we're all still going to die. But Christ did not remain dead, did he, church? No, he laid in that grave for three days, but then he rose from the dead. He rose as a seal and as a confirmation. He rose as a loud and joyful declaration of God's acceptance of his sacrifice. He dealt a death blow to sin and death because he came running out of that grave. Death could not hold him. Death could not stop him. Death did not and death will not have the final word against Jesus or against anybody whose faith is in Jesus. (laughs) And you say, hey, Joel, I thought we were exegetically preaching. Where, Where do you see all of that in this verse? Well, again, Paul speaks of the cross. And when he speaks of the Passover lamb here, he is speaking of the full work of Christ, not just his death, but his life, his death, his resurrection, and even his ascension. There's no uncertainty in Paul's mind about whether Jesus remained dead. And we know that 
Because if you turn just a few pages over to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul concludes this amazing letter of 1 Corinthians with a whole chapter just on the resurrection. And in that glorious chapter, he says these words, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. Amen. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. When the perishable, that's all of us, puts on the imperishable, and the mortal, that's all of us, puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written. Listen, death is swallowed up in victory, church. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Jesus rose from the dead. In His resurrection, in His resurrection, He destroyed the power of sin and death in your life. He crushed Satan himself. He had the victory. What is the result of that? The result of that is that our greatest problem has been solved. The issue of sin and death has been resolved. For those who through faith believe in the substitutionary work of Jesus, our greatest problem has been resolved. Friend, here's what the resurrection means for you this morning. Your sin has been removed. The stain of sin which went so deep in your heart and in your life and in your history, the stain of sin has been washed out. Look, look at these glorious words in our text today. Look at verse 7 again. Paul says, Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump as you really are unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. But Paul exhorts us to, to practically cleanse out our lives from all sinfulness, to grow in holiness. But he does so not because that is how we gain acceptance before God. No, he says that we are to cleanse out the old because we are already unleavened. Because we're already clean. Because the stain of sin has already been removed. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. We're already accepted. Have you ever known somebody with, who struggles with OCD? Maybe you are somebody who struggles with OCD. But do you know how someone that struggles in that way can, can never be convinced that something is truly clean? Think about the TV show about Adrian Monk. He was never satisfied with how clean, clean a room was, particularly when he was anxious or troubled in life. He would always be trying to find something else to clean. But those around him are, just kept saying, Adrian, it's already clean. Your job's already done. You don't need more Windex. You don't need more paper towels. You don't need to vacuum again. It's already clean. Christian, Paul says to you, you really are unleavened. The power and the stain of sin has been fully removed. No amount of polishing your life will make you more accepted before God. You can't earn His favor in that way. The job has already been completed through the death and resurrection of Jesus from the grave. The result of the grave and the empty tomb is that you are clean. You are forgiven. Sin and shame no longer mark you. Listen, 
your own sinful mistakes or the horrible and evil mistakes that others have committed against you. They are not what's spreading throughout your life any longer. No, no, no. The forgiveness and the victory of Christ is what is flowing in your veins, Christians, and it is spreading through your entire life like a new and better leaven through bread. The old leaven has been removed. We now have the new leaven of God's grace. Against the problem of our sinfulness, Jesus rose from the dead. You are now declared righteous. And so point number three, let's celebrate him with a whole lot. Let's celebrate him with our whole lives. I want to tell you about a pet fish that we used to have. His name was Lazarus. His name was not always Lazarus. In fact, I think when we first got him, his name was Bob or something like that. Really exciting. But his name became Lazarus because of something that happened, you know, as I recall it, this was the first pet that my kids had ever had, and they were all very, very little and very excited to have little Bob to take care of. And he was a great fish. He was very loyal. He was, he was kind, <laughs> got along, very much a part of our family, brought much joy to our hearts. But then one day, Bob was dead. He was belly up and bloated in his bowl. He did not look good at all. And my kids were distraught. The, the first real death in our family was hard to take. It was crushing. So crushing, in fact, that we had a, an official funeral service for, for Bob. It was a very somber occasion. We all walked single file into the bathroom. We all play, paid our, our last respects to Bob, and we prepared to send him to his watery grave. But friends... I honestly don't know what happened, and I really don't know how to explain it. I still laugh about it because it was so strange. But just as poor Bob was about to be poured from one bowl into another, the dude sprang to life. I mean, he sprang to life. It's like he knew what was going to happen. He said, not today. And he starts swimming like his life depended on it. I almost dropped the bowl because I was so surprised by it. But he was alive. Listen, people, I cannot tell you how loud we celebrated. The kids were crazy. He's alive. He's alive. It's a miracle. He's alive. He's not dead anymore. He's alive. We celebrated because where we thought there was death, there was now life. And friends, God's word makes it very clear that we too should celebrate. And we should celebrate loudly because where there was once death and only death, there is now life and the promise of an eternity before us. Look at verse 8. He says, let us therefore celebrate the festival. And that's the right response to Christ's death and the resurrection. That's the right response to the gospel this morning. We are supposed to celebrate Matthew, in his gospel account, says that when the women found the empty grave and spoke with that angel, they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy, and they ran to tell his disciples. Luke says that the disciples disbelieved for joy and were marveling. It was almost too good to be true, but it was true, church. 
Peter says in 1 Peter 1, according to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And he says, in this we rejoice. In 1 Corinthians 15, that amazing text about the resurrection, Paul can't help it. He breaks into song. Where, O death, is your sting? Where is your victory? In Ephesians 1, Paul joyfully gives thanks to God when he says, having the eyes of our hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe? According to the working of His great might that He worked in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at His right hand in the heavenly places. Paul says in Philippians chapter 3, Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection. Church, we are called to celebrate this glorious reality. And listen, we are called to celebrate, not just with loud singing and joyful praise, but also through devoting our lives to God and to His work in our lives, in and throughout this world. Look at our text again. Paul says, therefore, let us celebrate not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. We're going to talk about this more next week, but, but what Paul is saying here is that we should act like the Israelites when they were delivered from Egypt. After the Passover each year, God commanded them to celebrate the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And they were supposed to eat unleavened bread for a whole week. Why? Well, because when God was delivering them from Egypt, they didn't have time to let the bread rise. They had unleavened bread because that was faster to make and also because they didn't have room for leavened bread. Unleavened bread is thinner and easier to pack. Barnett in his commentary says the Israelites were to eat only unleavened bread as evidence of their readiness to quit Egypt immediately without delay. The, the point is this, church. When you're being delivered from bondage, you don't hang around dealing in unnecessary affairs. That the Feast of Unleavened Bread is an acknowledgement of the work of redemption that God had done and our need to respond to it. God didn't open the Red Sea only for the Israelites to sit at home twiddling their thumbs waiting for the leaven to rise. No, He opened the Red Sea and He said, go. He said, pack light and get on your way. Redemption is before you. Don't wait for the bread to rise. No, walk into and walk out the miracle of my salvation which lays ahead. And so when Paul says here that we should celebrate the festival, that we should celebrate the gospel, not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth, he's saying, church, respond to the good news of the gospel with joyful obedience and diligent holiness. Recommit your life in every area of your life to King Jesus. Live for Jesus because of the work that he's already done for you. You're already saved. He says you're already unleavened. But now Paul commands us to celebrate that cleansing work of Christ by giving our lives fully to him. But by acting the miracle, as John Piper says, 
and living as we're called to live. Paul's going to say a few verses later in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, as he exhorts the church to sexual purity, he says, the body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. And then he says, and God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by His power. He's saying that the resurrection gives you power to conquer lust in your life today. Paul says in Colossians chapter 3, verses 1-3, to If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And then he talks about how, how because of the resurrection power, we can put to death anger and wrath and malice and dissension between friends and slander and obscene talk from our mouth. His point is that because of the resurrection, you now have resurrection power coursing through your veins and you don't need to live under the power of your sin any longer. So let's celebrate not just with songs, but with obedient lives. Paul ends this letter by talking about the resurrection in 15, and then at the end of 15, he says, Therefore, my beloved brothers and sisters, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. He just, he just grounds all that we are and all that we're called to be and to do in the resurrection. He grounds us in that empty tomb. Christian, listen. You already are unleavened. The stain of sin has been removed from your life. When God looks at you, He doesn't see that pride. He doesn't see that selfishness. He doesn't see that sexual sin or the stains of shame from the past. No, when Christ looks at you, He sees the righteousness of His Son and He fully accepts you. He calls you today His son or daughter. And that is reason to celebrate. That is reason to rejoice. That is reason to act and to live accordingly. Let's not sit around waiting for the leaven of our lustful desires to rise. Don't make the old bread of lust and anger and pride and selfishness. No, let us see ourselves as unleavened and let us see ourselves as pure and as clean and let us live accordingly. Let us live celebratory lives this next year of obedient and joyful praise because of the great things that he has done. Because it was against the problem of our sin that Jesus rose triumphantly from the dead. So let's celebrate him with our whole lives. Amen? Let's pray.